On November 25 and 26, Business World held a two-day virtual economic forum with a forward-looking theme, Forecast 2021, Reboot, Rethink, Reshape. The event gathered over 40 local and international speakers who discussed the Great Economic Reset as well as the future in a post-COVID era. B-Side is sharing excerpts from the forum, beginning with this fireside chat that I, Samuel Marcelo, had with Satish Shankar, Regional Managing Partner for Bain & Company, Asia-Pacific. Over the course of this public health crisis, we've witnessed changes in consumption, specifically further shifts to essential goods and digital services. Nevertheless, consumption will contribute to growth in Southeast Asia as Bain & Company estimates that the region will generate a total of $4 trillion U.S. dollars in terms of consumption in the next decade. In order to unlock the region's full potential, it is encouraged that stakeholders ensure efficient and effective recovery from COVID-19, focus on talent development and socioeconomic inclusion, upgrade infrastructure to support urbanization and resource management, and push for open and integrated regulation with a hyperlocal approach. Satish, thanks for your time. Let's get right to it. What global trends are shaping consumption in developing markets, and how has COVID changed that? Let me focus my comments on the ASEAN region, if that's all right. As you know, ASEAN is a dynamic region with good growth prospects and huge potential going forward. It's the third most populous economic region after China and India. It's the fifth largest economic block in GDP terms. Domestic consumption, which is 60% of GDP, is expected to go up to $4 trillion in the next 10 years, as you said. Clearly, COVID is going to have some impact on all of this, but we st still remain quite bullish on the region. What's driving this change and this profound uh, transformation of the region is our four forces. The first one is favorable demographics. ASEAN is increasingly young and increasingly urbanized. 68% of today's population in the ASEAN region is in the age bracket of 15 to 64, which is the working age group when people are at the most productive. That's 450 million people in a region with 660 million people. Over the next 10 years, working age population is expected to go up by 40 million in the next decade, with a, about half coming from Indonesia and as much as a third coming from the Philippines. The median age in the Philippines will be 29, and that in Indonesia will be 32 by 2030. By comparison, China's working age population will actually reduce by 30 million over the next decade. All of this is going to mean we are going to have 140 million new consumers, essentially individuals with annual incomes of more than $3,500 in a year, representing something like 16% of the world's new consumer class. So it's a big opportunity waiting to be tapped. Second is income levels are rising in the ASEAN region. Nominal GDP per capita is expected to go 4% and get to $6,600 per cap by 2030. What this will mean is many product categories, particularly consumer product categories, are going to reach inflection points where consumption takes off and we're going to see healthy growth for a decade or so. The third factor or the third big trend is digitization. And as you correctly pointed out, Sam, uh, digitization has accelerated quite rapidly over the last six or eight months propelled by COVID. Just to put it in perspective, if you take e-commerce, from mid-March to mid-April, Lazada, which is obviously a leading um, shopping app and e-commerce company in the region, 
saw a 100% increase in their sales transactions. And e-commerce as a whole is expected to grow 63% in 2020 in Southeast Asia region. What's also interesting is we're seeing widespread adoption of telecommuting, telemedicine, online learning, and an explosion in online payments as a result of COVID. Fourth factor that is driving this dramatic transformation of the region is the shift in global geopolitics. And ASEAN is seen as a very viable destination for companies looking to diversify their supply chains away from China. Just to put it in perspective, the 2019 flow of foreign direct investment into Southeast Asia was $156 billion. This is 10% higher than China and three times as high as um, India. So you can see there is significant growth momentum in the region propelled by these four factors. To recap, you identified favorable demographics, rising income levels, accelerated digitization, and shifting geopolitics. Do you think that the levels that pushed consumption during COVID-19 will remain in the new normal or will these fade away? There's no question COVID had a catalyzing impact. Let's take digital, for instance. There's no doubt that digitization has been accelerated by COVID. Uh, well, the World Economic Forum surveyed 68,000 young people and found that nine out of 10 had dramatically increased the use of at least one digital tool during COVID. And almost of them had started to use new digital tool quite substantially. The older generation is also changing. Previously, the older generation was more resistant to using digitization. But a study that uh, Bain did of consumers across the region indicated the older generation had dramatically increased online transactions during the COVID period, including the purchase for many people for the first time of online groceries. And they acknowledged that they've been pleasantly surprised by the convenience, the efficiency, and the freshness of the produce delivered at that doorstep. Beyond uh, the impetus provided by COVID, there's no doubt that digitization has been a secular trend in the region. The region is going to have 575 million internet users by 2030. The value of ASEAN's e-commerce sector has already expanded seven times in the last four years. It's risen to $38 billion in 2019 and is on track to get to $150 billion by 2025. To put it in perspective, China's online retail sales is $1.5 trillion in 2019. So clearly you can see there's a lot more upside in ASEAN. What's driving this is essentially the emergence of millennials and Gen Z who have really been a catalyst to this change. Millennials, who are essentially people born between 81 and 90, and Gen Z, people born after 1996, are going to account for 80% of ASEAN consumers by 2030. They are digitally savvy, they're comfortable around technology, they're likely to discover their products on social media, and they spend a lot of time online. We're also seeing uh, the rise of natives like Grab and Gojek, who are uh, spurring consumption through innovative business models, and ubiquitous reach to the various consumers. And government efforts in the region have also been very handy and helpful in creating a digital ecosystem and favorable business conditions for uh, digital venturing. One of the big benefits of uh, digital is that as digital starts to reach and internet penetration starts to reach rural and low-income communities, it has the potential to barriers that inhibit small business from growing into these areas and will also enable more effective delivery of basic services such as healthcare, education, and financial services.
given how much things are changing and accelerating, how can companies survive? When we were talking earlier, you said that only one in 10 companies was a winner after the last crisis. How can I make sure that my company is a winner? Let me start with your observation about only one in 10 companies being winners. Bain did an extensive study of 4,000 listed companies for 10 years after the global financial crisis. And we found that less than 10% of those 4,000 companies really captured the opportunities and outperformed the competition. And these companies grew profits by 14% over a 10-year period on an annualized basis. So that when you compound that, that's a substantial amount of value creation. The rest of the companies were effectively flat in terms of their profit growth. So they, did, they went sideways, they did not grow their profits. So you can see a small number of companies captured all the value over that period. We expect to see a very similar outcome after COVID because we find that these types of crises really separate the winners from the losers. Looking forward in an increasingly uncertain world, I want to touch upon two sets of priorities for leadership management teams around the region, around the world. The first one is the ability to master three critical capabilities to succeed in an uncertain world. The first one is prediction. And prediction is the ability to anticipate change ahead of time and respond accordingly. So the need of the hour is therefore to lead with a future back vision rather than just a present forward perspective. A linear extrapolation of what's happening today is not good enough. You need to step back. You need to think about how the industry could change, how new competitors come, could come into the industry, how consumer requirements are changing and respond accordingly. So that's prediction. The second is adaptability. And adaptability is the flexibility to course correct as the external environment evolves. The third requirement is resilience. Resilience is the ability to manage and survive sudden shocks, black swan events, like the global financial crisis or uh, COVID. So those three uh, requirements, prediction, adaptability, and resilience are going to be critical. Now, none of these are straightforward embedded within companies, but absolutely essential. The second thing I want to touch upon is, and it's a big macro trend, is the elevated importance of corporate social responsibility. Now, it goes by many other names, you know, ESG, corporate citizenship, inclusive capitalism, but essentially it is a move away from a sole focus on creating shareholder value to broader stakeholder value creation. So considering the needs of society, customers, employees, and the environment, in addition to shareholders. We really believe that corporate social responsibility is at an inflection point across the globe. And just to give you a, an example from the region, 80% of the ASEAN consumers that we surveyed really value sustainability and have said that they have made lifestyle changes in order to be more eco-friendly. And when we look at the urban affluent who tend to be trendsetters, that number is actually 90%. Another study shows that 90% of Filipino consumers are willing to pay more for sustainable products, which is very different from what we heard from them three years ago. We're finding individuals and societies are shifting their behaviors as a result of this big change. And we're going to see a massive shift in capital expenditure from brown to green. This is going to have a profound impact. In fact, some commentators have compared it to uh, the industrial revolution in terms of the enormity and the degree of change we're going to see. So companies need to absolutely embrace sustainability as the next digital and elevate it to the very top of the corporate agenda. 
how will the trends that we just discussed be relevant for the Philippines? What are the implications for our business leaders and policymakers? We are uh, very much optimistic about the prospects for the Philippines. We think the opportunity ahead of the Philippines is massive. Just to give you some numbers, consumption growth is expected to be 2.6 between 2020 and 2030. The economy is expected to reach nearly a trillion dollars. 75% of Philippines' population will be middle class. Various consumer categories, as I mentioned earlier, would have hit the cusp of the S-curve inflection at which they start to grow rapidly, creating opportunities for companies uh, offering these products. And then we're expecting to see broad-based growth. So not just growth in tier one cities, but also tier two cities and beyond. And clearly, it's a big, exciting opportunity for companies, both local and multinational, looking to participate in the market. I'd say for companies to participate effectively in this opportunity, there are five broad imperatives. First one is to set a bold ambition in an increasingly competitive landscape where your competition is not just your historical competitors or your incumbents, but also digital natives. As you know, digital natives have disrupted profit pools across a range of industries. So I think every company has to be conscious of that. Second is companies need to adapt their product offerings, their value propositions to market models and supply chains to meet the need of increasingly discerning customers. Just to give you a data point, Filipino customers spend 1.5 times the time online that the average global customer spends. So they're extremely discerning and extremely up-to-date with the latest trends in, in consumption and so on and so forth. So they're discerning customers. Third, companies, as I said earlier, need to put sustainability at the heart of their business. This is really going to be a new paradigm, the way business is done, and companies need to get ahead of that. Four, COVID has underlined the need to absolutely put digital at the forefront of the agenda. And this is, we are only in chapter one, so companies need to ensure that they are continuing to invest in digital capability and to get on the front foot there. And the final uh, point imperative for companies is to reimagine their operating model and their culture to become more purpose-driven and to become more agile to respond much more nimbly to much more rapid change in the market. From a government perspective and a you know, regulatory uh, standpoint, it's critical that the Philippines set creates a friendly environment for in investors to tap both into the consumption story in the Philippines, as well as uh, giving companies the chance to use Philippines as a manufacturing base to uh, respond to an opportunity driven by companies trying to diversify their supply chain. What does this mean? This means speedy and efficient approval processes, investor-friendly regulations, which are steady and don't change uh, from year to year, and investments in infrastructure, and finally, upskilling of the workforce to be able to supply the talent required for companies to go about their business in the Philippines. Second, creating a conducive environment for entrepreneurship. This will require the right policy framework and assisting and enabling companies to tap into a strong venture ecosystem. The third is to play a critical role in accelerating digital adoption across all sectors of the economy because digital has the potential to transfer every single sector of the economy. And this will require governments and the, the government of the Philippines to build out the digital infrastructure to update e-commerce regulations in anticipation of continued growth. So things like consumer data protection laws need to be upgraded in light of the changing environment. And finally, leveraging digital technology to improve basic services such as healthcare and education and increase financial inclusion 
all of which can be done tremendously effectively and at a lower cost using digital. It's so good to hear that positive outlook. So there is opportunity, but there's also a lot of work to be done. Any other final thoughts, Satish? Yes, Sam. Let me conclude by saying that there is a significant attractive opportunity that exists in the ASEAN region and particularly in the Philippines. However, the role of companies and policymakers needs to evolve. We can't be doing things the way we've done before. The two things I want to call out are digital and sustainability in terms of how companies should redefine their thinking and policymakers. And it's really up to executives and individuals to rise to this opportunity to capture the benefits as individuals and as firms. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Satish Shankar, Regional Managing Partner for Bain & Company Asia-Pacific, in a fireside chat with me, Samuel Marcello, Multimedia Editor at Business World, talking about the future of consumption. Here's hoping there are more winners than losers after this crisis. The session you just heard was part of the Business World Virtual Economic Forum, a two-day conference held from November 25 to 26. My chat with Satish was recorded remotely on November 26. Thanks for listening. Thank you.